0: This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. Hello, I'm Alec Hogg and welcome to episode 65 of Inside COVID-19. In this episode, some upside from the pandemic as we hear from Martin Kingston that business and government are forging a working relationship that's closer than ever before. We'll hear about a new and most unusual tips for Trevor campaign. There's a positive development in the search for a coronavirus vaccine as one of the front runners is in the final testing stage and could have a solution by November. And a leading member of South Africa's charitable sector waves a flag about a mushrooming market in fraudulent private protection equipments. Inside COVID-19, from News. South African coronavirus deaths went beyond 7,000 on Monday with 298 mortalities registered on the day, catching up on the usual slow reporting over weekends. Although recent infections are declining and Monday's active cases fell by a few thousand to 170,000, modelers are expecting a surge in the country's infections over the next four weeks, projecting a peak in mortalities only by early September. South Africa remains fifth in the world on total infections, active cases and daily mortalities, but is a modest 17th. On total mortalities, although this may be a result of lagged reporting on deaths. More on the latest forecasts coming up in this episode with Business for South Africa's Economic Group head Martin Kingston. On Monday night, the Executive Board of the International Monetary Fund approved an emergency loan of $4.3 billion, that's 71 billion rand to help South Africa over the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic. The loan was granted under the IMF's rapid financing instrument and the multilateral institution says it will help the country address a challenging health situation and the severe economic impact of the coronavirus. There are strings attached, however, as the IMF says that once the pandemic is behind us, South Africa will need to implement structural economic reforms. Repayment of the loan starts in 2023. Inside COVID 19, from Biz News. Martin Kingston is the head of the economic work group at Business for South Africa. Lovely talking with you again, Martin. You brought out a statement today on the way that you guys are seeing the COVID-19 crisis. There's quite a lot of controversy around statistics. We have the guys from Panda and we have others who are advising the government at loggerheads with each other. Who does your statistical modeling at Business for South Africa?
1: Well, we've used a lot of people, but the person who's leading this is Barry Childs, who used to be the chairman of the Actuarial Society of South Africa. And we integrate a number of models. And I have to say, sitting as I do in the war room, the Solidarity Fund, we see even more models. And you're right, there are as many models as there are epidemiologists and statisticians, as far as I'm concerned. But I feel the one that we have now seen and been shown today is conservative and responsible and gives us the sort of information that we require to be able to give advice to businesses and to input on our advice, indeed, to other social stakeholders.
0: Is it dynamic? I think that's the big issue that Panda was saying, that there was one scenario that has not changed dramatically, but some of the models haven't.
1: No, it absolutely is completely dynamic. It's not just dynamic on a national basis, but on a provincial basis as well. And it integrates also with aspects of the latest input from the healthcare systems to the extent that that information is available. Of course, what would be the best possible option would be if all information was openly shared between everybody so that we could form a view. What is for sure is that we know that we're now well into the surge. We anticipate the peak being in late August, the beginning of September. I think that's consistent with government's views. We met with government government and the Minister of Health at NEDLAC, in fact, on Friday of last week. And those views are pretty consistent that we're four to six weeks away from the peak. The surge is going to endure probably into the fourth quarter before it starts to drop off over time. And that's on the assumption there isn't a further surge or surges as we're seeing in other parts of the world.
0: How close is that relationship now between government and the private sector, the so-called public-private partnerships?
1: My own assessment is that there's a much closer level of cooperation, collaboration, careful listening that has taken place over the last few months than had preceded it for many, many years. I think the trust is being built. It depends on the sector, it depends on the discipline, certainly in the context of infrastructure projects. It is, I think, broadly acknowledged that public-private partnerships is the only way we can proceed, the only way that we can raise the requisite capital that is required given the huge strains on the fiscus that are going to emerge over the next three years, and not only by virtue of the fact that our tax revenues are going to have declined substantially as a consequence of COVID-19 and indeed broader macroeconomic factors, but also that as a country we've been incapable of tightening our belt in terms of keeping costs under control. So when we need to access capital for infrastructure projects, for example, it is natural that uh, providers of that capital will place greater reliance upon the private sector if it has a proven track record than it will upon the public sector. But we've got to work hand in glove because the regulatory environment within which we are operating is overseen by the state. And by the way, we welcome and support that. We're not suggesting there shouldn't be regulation. We think that regulation needs to be fit for purpose. And increasingly, again, I think there's a willingness to explore that between the public and the private sector. So I am heartened by that. And I believe that the president's letter, even yesterday, acknowledges that the only way we're going to be able to find our way out of this extremely challenging set of circumstances is if we mobilize the resources of all social partners, you know, government, business, labor, and indeed civil society, and do it in a smart and agile and impactful way. Otherwise, I am fearful for the fact that the level of decline that we're seeing in economic activity will continue and will actually undermine social stability, which is something that we all know we cannot possibly even contemplate, let alone afford. So what's the thrust of your message right now? So the thrust of our message is, I think, twofold. One is when we're in the surge and indeed for the months and indeed perhaps years ahead until there's a vaccine, We need to behave with extreme levels of responsibility in terms of behavior change. As I said, social distancing, sanitization and wearing face masks and encouraging everybody else to do the same in the workplace and outside the workplace. And secondly, that we need to reactivate our economy, but in a manner where we work collaboratively with our social partners and we focus and ruthlessly focus on limited priorities. We don't try and cover the waterfront. We decide what is essential and we put our collectively shoulder to the wheel. That would be the two key messages as far as I'm concerned, Alec.
0: And just to close off with the debate that's going on with the insurance industry, it is an important sector of the economy. There seems to have been some kind of progress on that side. But if all the business interruption claims are to be honored, are you able to participate in finding some common ground there?
1: Yeah, I think that the insurance industry does have a particular challenge. By the way, it's no different to the banking industry. I think that to the extent that commitments have been made, and this is appropriately characterized as business interruption risk, and you'll have seen, by the way, the provision that Liberty announced only yesterday, we need to assume that the insurance industry is going to take strain for the immediate short term and indeed perhaps for the medium term. But if it doesn't, then I think that people are going to look askance. At the ability to place the sort of risks that we're talking about, which couldn't have been anticipated, but people thought they had insured against. And I have no doubt that we'll be arguing and negotiating that on a case-by-case basis. But we have to assume, and we place enormous reliance on the efficacy and the robustness of our financial services sector, by which I include, of course, the insurance sector as well, that they're going to act in accordance with both the spirit and the letter of the law.
0: Inside COVID 19, from Biz News. The popular Johannesburg pub and grub hotspot, The Foundry, has the misfortune of having its business interruption insurance policy with Old Mutual, the company which has been conspicuous by its absence from the insurers who've now stepped forward to provide some financial support. So the owner, Damasi Mfogali, is trying a different tack borrowing from an old pre-budget theme and posting a series of tips for Trevor on his Twitter account, addressed, of course, to South Africa's former finance minister and now Old Mutual chairman, Trevor Manuel. Uh, what motivated you to do this? The
2: situation is worse, and I think is uh, um, the chairman of the uh, Old Mutual, he, he need to art. Um, and acting meaning to help this industry because restaurant business is actually uh has been a big contributor to many uh, uh economic facets of this country so i think to me um it's important because he knows the the background the backbone of this country uh, in terms of the economy and i think to me uh, it was important to say that thing
0: Dear Trevor, by the time we see you in court, tourism will be closed. It's already on its knees. Do the right thing and show it before that happens and thousands of jobs are lost. It's really a a smart approach. Did you just think this up yourself or did you get guidance from marketing people? No, I think it's
2: reality to me. It is a reality. It's not really a guidance. Uh, Guidance can be... You need to be told what to say, <laughs> but to me I think it's a reality I think it's important to see as it is
0: what's happened to the foundry it's uh, I, i've often driven past there and it's a pumping restaurant uh, usually
2: uh, since the coronavirus was, was announced um, we, we dropped over almost seventy percent so that place was uh, pumping as you said, and uh, we, we think uh, uh, it needs to be to, to be revived because it was just actually a hot spot uh, in terms of people wanting to go there and have a good time. So our business has tremendously gone down. So maybe I'm, I'm pessimistic in that matter, maybe even more than uh, uh,
0: 70%. But the problem is the business interruption insurance that you have yeah. with old mutuals not kicking in.
2: I'm saying they're creating new policies in the middle of the crisis. And this crisis, we need to work together because also we are paying the, the police. And, and we want things to continue, but we need to help each other at these difficult times. Otherwise, we can say, okay, let's go to the better insurer of our businesses. I'm, I'm saying this as a foundry owner because I know that um, it has affected tremendous to us. Um, with this uh, lot of initiative being Given by governments in terms of uh, support it's not guaranteed, so I think the need to help us so that we can continue and I think it's, good. it's a win win situation for all of us yeah.
0: when you took out the policy in the first place, right what was your understanding?
2: No, I thought at the time all like this because at a time like this where the infectious diseases such as corona, or you can call Ebola, or whatever it is, when, it, when it's even 40K from our, uh, our, our, our premises, the, the insurers will be able to assist us. But I, th- I don't think it was the case. There was so, mu- so much excuses and ways uh, how are they going to, to support or not support. So to me... Uh, when I heard that uh, they are not going to do it at the announcement after they made it, of course, there's been a lot of correspondence in the process through our own brokers uh, that you know, uh, how can we handle this? Uh, but, uh, you know, if you look at things, the way the communication were, it was uh, quite definitely they won't be able to, to support the process of uh, specifically us being a policy, policy holder.
3: Over the
0: weekend, we heard that both Hollard and Santam are going to be giving some relief support to their customers. Have you heard right. nothing from Old Mutual? Is this what uh, made you take to Twitter to, to have a go at the chairman, Trevor Manuel?
2: Yes, definitely, because uh, it's not all, 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 only, uh, only Santam and, and Hollard. Not only that, the court decision in Cape Town, I think to us it was a big boost to make sure that these things has to happen uh, to us. I don't know how many people have been insured with the insured, but I think they, they, they really need to do something, because otherwise, you know, we're going to withdraw in the process. Everybody's going to withdraw. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm saying personally myself, I'll have to review my policy and, and, and withdraw from them.
0: How much is your claim?
2: In total, I think it was 2.7. What I said even earlier is, is I think we, we're happy to sit down and discuss about this because I know everybody's affected by COVID-19. So I'll be happy to discuss and see how we can, we, can, we can do that.
0: But at the moment, you're getting no joy. So now you've got some tips for Trevor, which has come to the party.
2: I'm sure um, uh, uh, the, the the chair, the chairman will, will be able to, to come to the party and sit down and discuss about this.
3: Inside COVID-19, from Biz News.
0: There's been a major development today on the search for a coronavirus vaccine as one of the frontrunners, Moderna, announced that it is now in the final stage of testing its experimental drug. Our partners at the Wall Street Journal have been keeping a close watch on this critical aspect of the fight against COVID-19. Here's Anne-Marie Fertoli.
4: Drugmaker Moderna began the final stage of testing on its experimental coronavirus vaccine today with large-scale human trials. If it's successful, it would be a huge breakthrough in fighting the pandemic. And the government has been supporting the effort Moderna received a commitment of up to $472 million in federal funding for phase three testing, in addition to the $483 million it's already received. Joining me now with more details is Wall Street Journal reporter Peter Loftus. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining me.
3: Hi, thanks for having me
4: on. So, Peter, what exactly is involved in a phase three trial? Is this really the make or break stage?
3: You could look at it like that. A phase three trial is basically where they're trying to get the most definitive evidence to date about whether a vaccine is safe and effective. And the big new feature of this phase three trial is that, it's first of all, it's going to be in a lot of people, a lot more than the early studies, up to 30,000. And they're going to look for whether the vaccine actually keeps people from coming down with with uh, COVID-19, because the prior trials so far, really were just looking at, you know, safety and immune responses, but even seeing an immune response that doesn't necessarily guarantee that the vaccine would actually protect you from the virus.
4: So the big news today is that Moderna is now starting its phase three, but there are a lot of companies in this race as well as we try to get a potential vaccine here.
3: Right. So there's another vaccine from the University of Oxford working with AstraZeneca, and that started a big trial in the uh, United Kingdom back in May that will include testing for whether it protects against the virus. And then that same vaccine is scheduled to start a big phase three trial in the U.S. starting in August. And then there's other vaccines that are, you know, in the lead pack, so to speak. There's a vaccine from Pfizer that's also s- supposed to start a big phase three study this week. And then a vaccine from Johnson & Johnson that's it's a little farther behind. It's just starting its first U.S. phase one study today. And and that could move into a big phase three study in September. So we've got we've got a series of studies that are getting bigger and bigger that are designed to provide, you know, the most crucial answers in the coming weeks and months.
4: Peter, we're still seeing a rising number of cases in many US states. Is that something that's helping or hindering efforts to test and fully vet an effective vaccine?
3: Well, in a way it, it helps. It's a delicate situation because you don't want to say it's a good thing or that it's a even a silver lining because the rise in cases means more people are getting sick and more people are dying. But with that happening now, the way that these big vaccine studies are designed, they kind of depend upon the people who get either vaccinated or get a placebo in these studies then going out into the world and becoming exposed to the virus. And... That's the way that the researchers will, will know whether the people who got the vaccine come down with COVID-19 at a lower rate than the people who got the placebo. And so if you have these studies being conducted in places like Texas or or even other countries where infection rates are high, then potentially you could get to those answers sooner than you would if the studies were being done at a time or in places where um, the spread of the virus is, is lower.
4: You also wrote about a big unknown here and that is how long would protection from a potential vaccine last? That's a pretty tough question as we also have questions swirling about antibodies and what the presence
3: of those means. Right, right now it's a big unknown and I think people are just looking for a lot of clues based on the early tests of some of these vaccines. What kind of immune response they they elicited in the form of antibody production and whether that rises to a certain level and then begins to decline over time and what that might mean for whether the vaccine then could actually protect people for a significant amount of time. And so older vaccines against other diseases have a range of durability and, and some are believed to last for a lifetime while others are more near-term or or they provide shorter protection. So right now, what researchers are looking for, first of all, whether any of the COVID vaccines offer protection, because we still don't know that. And then if they do offer protection, is it gonna be six months or a year and therefore would require more frequent vaccinations or could it offer protection for many years?
4: Peter, what can you tell us about the timeline where we may get some answers from these big companies and eventually a vaccine?
3: Well, with this big study starting today, some federal health officials talked about the the timing issue today, and they said that it's possible that we could have an answer on whether this vaccine from Moderna is effective by about November. And that could change. It could change depending on how quickly they enroll people in the study and then, what the infection rates are in the places where it's being studied, and so it, it could be earlier than that, it could be later, but they think it's possible by November, and that there's there is a chance then that if they get a positive result and government officials agree that it's enough to warrant you know starting to make the vaccine available that that initial supplies could be available by the end of the year. that would be an unprecedented time frame you know i think it's, a, it's sort of an optimistic scenario and so there's always the the possibility that things could happen during the testing or manufacturing of the vaccine that would put off those those timelines you know into next year inside
0: covid-19 Primpers news many of the pop-up companies that are now selling personal protective equipment are actually using Fraudulent certificates. Well, that's according to Trevor Pulse, the chief executive of the SA Medical and Education Foundation, a charity that focuses on education and healthcare. Over the past three months, Pulse has sourced PPE for hospitals, but lots of the people providing them are not acting above board. He told my Biznews colleague Linda van Tilburg, he's also concerned. The donations for the COVID-19 pandemic may not be going where they should.
5: You know, I've experienced personally, when, we, when this thing first started, every single person on social media was apparently a, a PPE salesperson. They all had connections and they're all selling stuff. And uh three-ply masks were selling at 17 rand each, where they're supposed to sell for like 2.50 rand each. And where they were getting their stock from, I have no idea, most of it was Chinese imports, and the certification is all fraudulent so they're selling you a product, but the product isn 't to the specs that it's, that it's required to be because the certificates they're giving you are fake., well, how widespread do you think that is pretty i'd say it's pretty widespread. It takes a bit of digging to find out, but once you do you you see and where they all popped up from all their companies are registered this year and everybody's selling the same stuff they're all buying from each other and reselling it ppe is is going in circles and never getting to an end user that actually needs it i'd love to see how many people land up sitting with ppe in their garages at the end of this not being able to get rid of it because they bought it at prices that were ridiculous hoping to make profit off it
0: are you worried about what happens to the funding at the moment like the solidarity fund where it's going to
5: I do. With with the amounts of corruption we're seeing in the country at the moment within the government rank and government spending, we've got to be concerned about how donor funds are being managed and are being spent. With the same foundation, we have a good track record of transparency and reporting to our donors how their funds get spent, when they get spent, showing evidence of it being spent and keeping proper paper trail of how uh, our donation funds are managed and how the procurement process is done. And I'm not seeing enough of that within government ranks and other funds that are, that are out there at the moment. And that is concerning. We know that there are billions of rands available to the NPO markets for COVID assistance, but we're not seeing enough done. And four months into our pandemic, you've got to start asking questions and wondering, what is happening out there? So the Solidarity Fund is one of our concerns, as it's um, one of the funds that has brought in the most COVID support donor funding. We do know that they are working closely with the Department of Health in assisting them with the purchase of much-needed medical equipment and PPE. And with the department showing so much corruption in the past few weeks that has come to light, it does raise a few red flags and concerns for us. You know, we we need to know, is the the management of the spending of those funds by governments being done correctly? Is there a proper audit that's going to to be done? And is this information going to be released to the public, to those donors? Because besides the few corporates that donated hundreds of millions, there were millions of individuals who made donations out of their personal capacity, out of their personal accounts, out of their own pockets to this trust. And they're going to want to know too, where has my money been spent? How has it been spent? How has it been managed? So we, we need to ensure that there's some kind of transparency that donors can see that their funds have been managed and spent correctly.
0: This has been episode 65 of Inside COVID-19. The full interviews of the highlights that are featured in this podcast are available separately on the biznews.com website or app. Thanks for being with us. I'm Alec Hogg. Until tomorrow, cheerio. This conversation
5: on COVID-19 was made possible by Discovery.